Welcome. Glad to have you here. Thanks for coming to Las Vegas. I made an interesting discovery. I discovered that doctors still have problems with IPR. Who knew? I've been teaching the CE1 course since 2003 and the advanced course since 2005, and still doctors are struggling with this issue of how to do good IPR in a meaningful way. So my job today is to help make, you, make that easier. I'm going to hopefully give you some strategies that will help you apply principles that make IPR much easier. I'd like to talk about six of them today. The challenges that the doctors face in applying interproximal reduction. Did you know that doctors can plan a case entirely with no IPR? You can do that. You can ask the technician to set up your case with no IPR. I would never do that personally, and I'll show you some good reasons to not do that, because IPR is so useful. Here are some of the challenges that you face when you're trying to do good IPR. The first one is that your case has too much IPR, and you think to yourself, woo, that's a lot of IPR. I'm going to show you three strategies to reduce your IPR in most of your cases. A second problem that I know you face is limited access, that you can't get to the surfaces that are supposed to be IPR'd. Is IPR a verb? Can you have a past tense of IPR? Okay, a third challenge that I know that you face is keeping track of how much you've done and how much you're supposed to do. And I know that IP, uh, the, 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 they, when they send you your case, you have online and on a piece of paper a little grid that allows you to mark in how much you've done. And I like that grid. I just have a tool that I think is a whole lot better. And if you picked up a series of your, um, your uh, handout, you'll see one in the back. I'm going to discuss that a little bit. But keeping track can be pretty darn easy. And a fourth question that I know that you have, because I hear it a lot, is how do I decide how much and when? And I'm going to help you, give you some tools to help you do that. And then a fifth question that I know that you have is what are the best tools and techniques? And I'm going to review a handful of them, some of the most popular, and make some recommendations about what you might be able to use and what you might not be able to use. Okay, and the last one I want to talk about that has a lot to do with IPR is this problem that many of you face with a posterior open bite. How many of you finished your case with a posterior open bite? I just sat in a course where they were discussing that particular problem, and I'm going to give you hopefully a little science behind that problem and some specific solutions in dealing with that. So those are the six things we're going to cover in about 60 minutes or so. Okay, so let's see where IPR fits in the whole options. Now, if you're letting uh, the technician do all of your setup without any editing or monitoring of that, you will get a certain good result. But I'm going to give you another message today. My first message to the CE1 doctors is, if you will pick an easy case, take a beautiful impression and send it in, and it's within the parameters of assist, you'll get a really nice, predictable result. And assist will help you monitor that with progress tracking. But I'm going to send you a different message. I'm going to send you a message that you're the one that has the diploma on the wall. You're the technician, you're the, you're the clinician, they're the technician. They work with computers, you work with teeth. So I would like you to be empowered to take charge. I have a great relationship with my technician. His name is Frank. I've been down to Costa Rica three times. I've sat in his cubicle. I know him pretty well. I say to him when I type in, dear Frank, how's the family? How's the weather in Costa Rica? And he writes back and says, your case has been uh, set up according to your specifications. <laughs> Frank, what's the deal? 
You can't talk like that to me. You know, I can talk like that to him. But anyway, so I have a good relationship with him. But I tell Frank what I want him to do. He doesn't tell me what he's going to do. He, I give him the best setup. I take maybe a minute and a half to do my, most of my prescriptions. I don't fuss over them and try to get this dot right and check that just right. I let him do his deal. And he's pretty darn good. We've been working together for a long time. But I tell him, after he gives me his best shot, Frank, I need you to change this. I need you to fix this. So that editing process is an important one, and I want to make you feel empowered to be able to do that. So you only have five choices. You may have known about these. They may have come to you by default. But when you solve crowding problems, not spacing problems, you only have these five options. Expansion. Proclination, expansion is their first choice. Distillization is my least favorite. I'm going to try really hard to not distillize any molars. Teeth don't want to do that. It's sort of against the grain. I'm going to do that only as a last resort. Or I can do IPR, or I can do extraction. And as Porky Pig once said, that's all, folks. That's all you get. That's your five choices. And so with those five choices, you have to decide what you're going to do. Now, some doctors say, well, I want to do the whole case with no IPR. That means they got to do more of everything else. And sometimes that's not the best option. So these three increase your arch size, and these two decrease your tooth mass or size. That's all you get. So my, my goal is to say, can I balance those? Why would I want to take off one of those options and load all the responsibility on another one of those options? So I can take expansion and IPR, and I can try to balance those out so that I don't have too much of one or too much of the other. But I can't do that if I pull the plug entirely on IPR, because it has so many good uses. So one more thing before we discuss these six strategies. I want, you to, I want to tell you for a moment something about what IPR is and what it's not. Let's make sure we know what it is and what it's not, because what I'm going to tell you here you may not know, and it will influence your strategy and your setup and your approach. Okay, first thing I want you to know is IPR is calculated in hundredths of a millimeter. It's not calculated in tenths. It's rounded up for your benefit because I don't have the hands to do a hundredth of a millimeter. So they round it up. But the problem is you don't know if your actual IPR was rounded up or rounded down. That's going to influence how you approach your case. So if you know that, you'll have a different strategy, you'll have a different setup, you'll have a different philosophy. If you know that it's in hundredths of a millimeter, you're getting a rounded up number. Second thing I want you to remember is carefully measure each amount of IPR with the gauge. Now, you do have to be exact on that. Here's one of my friends that we took a video clip of, and he's going from the top down. I generally stick the gauge in from the front, and then I'm very careful not to push very hard because I want a passive notation, otherwise the PDL will allow that to go and give me an in inaccurate amount of, of IPR. So I want to carefully measure each amount of IPR with the gauge. The second thing I want to do is remember it's not an exact science. Sometimes you need a little bit more and sometimes you need a little bit less. If you do too much, you'll have if you do too little, you'll have collisions. If you do too much, you'll end up with open contacts. 
So you have to take those kind of things into in account when you're working out your strategy. And the third thing is, don't do it all at once. If you knew that it was either being rounded down or rounded up and you didn't know which one it was, why would you ever do it all at once? Your goal is to not ever let the spaces get too large and that you dial in at the end, boom, all the contacts are in place. Third thing I want, the second thing I want you to remember here is IPR is calculated or figured out, that is to say the technician, the computer reports the IPR need, that is how much you're going to need, at the last aligner position. It's calculated on the final setup. It's calculated. The computer, in essence, is saying to the technician, you can put these teeth here if you want, but if you leave them here, you're going to need to remove three-tenths of a millimeter, actually it's 3.32 millimeters in order for those teeth to sit there. It's not calculated here or here or here or here. It's calculated on the last position. So the closer you get to doing your IPR near the last position, it's not always possible, and I'll show you how to get around that, the closer you do, the more accurate your results will be. So the goal is to have late IPR, not early IPR. I will say it a bunch of times today, early IPR is your enemy. Late IPR is your friend. Make sure you do IPR as late as possible to make sure you're actually only doing it on the mesial and distal surfaces. It's the only place you want to do it because that's where it's calculated on that last, last position. So this is very unpredictable right here, and this is very predictable. Well, you say, but my teeth aren't in that position. True enough, we'll get to that. Okay, there are only two problems in Invisalign treatment, and they both start with C. There's only two problems. There's compliance, you all know about that, and there is collisions. Now, everything I'm going to describe to you about how I approach an Invisalign case is designed to reduce, I don't think I can eliminate, but reduce collisions. Some people call it binding. Or you can say the teeth get the brakes put on. If your teeth are put in a position where the brakes are put on, where they collide with other teeth and they're squeezed in to some position, they will not do what you want them to do. All right, so with that in mind, the last thing I want to mention to you before we get rolling is let's skip the idea of doing it all at the beginning. You can't possibly be accurate. And frankly, if it's really crowded, you can't possibly get on the right surfaces that are supposed to be IPR'd. Okay, it's not a strategy to cut away teeth so that they or other teeth can rotate. What I'd like to try to persuade you not to do is hack your way out of the jungle. Don't get out your machete and start swinging. I'm going to make some space here so these darn teeth will move. That is not helpful to your strategy. That's what happens when you take crowded teeth and try to hack your way out of the jungle. Ask me how I know. No, that wasn't mine, but you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Early IPR is your enemy. Late IPR is your friend. I gave you three things to know about IPR so that you can have a strategy that makes it easier. See, my job today is to help you make IPR easier. Make it easier. Okay. Let's talk about your first tough one. Too much IPR. You get your case back from your technician and you think to yourself, whoa, that's a lot of IPR. 
So I'm going to give you three strategies that will help you reduce the amount of IPR in the case. Now, I don't personally like to eliminate it. I mean, I'm happy to do cases that don't need any IPR on their own merits. That's kind of dessert. It's pretty easy. has less chair time. But still, you're going to find out that even those cases that call for none might need a little IPR. We'll come to that. This is done during the editing. This is not during done treatment. The little circle tells you where in the case you're doing this. You're doing this at editing before you've ever accepted the case. One, reduce the IPR by doing this little balancing thing. You're sort of titrating how much IPR you've got between expansion and IPR. So I personally almost never, not never, but almost never, I've got to watch out for those statistics. You know when you say never, like 100%? Did you know that 64.3% of all statistics are made up on the spot? Did you know that? Thank you. Okay, so I favor twos and threes whenever I can get them. Did that go over your head? <laughs> no, it's 28.9%. Okay, I don't like fours and fives. I like twos and threes. So I'm trying to dial my case in to get twos and threes instead of fours and fives. Occasionally I'm going to get a four. Occasionally I'm going to get a five under certain circumstances. I'm going to try to resist those. Okay, so uh, the second strategy is to spread out the IPR among as many teeth as possible. The only reason you can't do this sometimes is if you've asked for the midline to be in a certain place, then you only have half the teeth under which you can distribute them all. So here's a case that I got back from ClinCheck, and it had, twos and it had two fives. Well, I don't love point fives. So I sent it back. I said, I don't love... 0.5s. Frank, I don't love 0.5s. So he sent me a new case back and he, he brought in the bicuspids. It's like a raffle. Give everybody a chance to contribute a little so nobody has to contribute very much. So now I've spread this out over more teeth and I have threes and twos and no fives and no fours. So you can spread that out among more teeth and reduce that. Okay, third thing that I'd like to do is, as a strategy, is I would like to avoid ClinChecks with collapsing or shrinking maxillary arches. Now, why would I say that? A lot of times, I, I work with doctors in CE2, and we put their ClinChecks that are in queue up on the screen. So we look at a lot of cases in those CE2s. Maybe some of you have been to a CE2 where I've taught, and I'll ask you to take your cases in queue and give them to the territory manager, and we watch them. And there's a lot of this, a lot of collapsing arches. Why does that make any difference as far as IPR? Well, consider this. I tell my patients a good bite is like a box on a lid, a lid on a box. Don't you think an, uh, 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 a patient can understand that analogy? Some people say, I've got an overbite. They say, yes, and you have a nose. That's your point. It's supposed to be that way. But patients don't understand. I say, what do you want, to walk around like this all the time? I mean, it's supposed to be a lid on a box. And patients go, oh, I get that. Now, when you collapse that arch, what are you doing? You're shrinking the lid on the box. So I say to my patients, you don't want a box that's bigger than the lid. We have a word for that. It won't mean anything to you, but it's an underbite. And we also have boxes that where the lid and the box are the same size. And we don't like that either because that's end-to-end -end relationship and that has some occlusal problems associated with it. So I'm trying to give you a good lid that fits on the box. 
All right, so take a look at this. Here's an example. Here's a case that a collapsing arch. The arch is shrinking down. What's that going to do to the lower arch? Well, it depends. If the lower arch is also shrinking, great. But here's a case with a whole bunch of fives. Would I accept that case? I personally wouldn't, because I'm on guard to make sure that I'm not accepting cases that have shrinking maxillary arches. Here's another one. Now, they've got some space down here, and they want to close those spaces. So in those front teeth come further and further and further. That makes it kind of difficult. Now, if the lower teeth are doing exactly the same thing or more, we're all good. And you may accept that, or you may have to do restorative or something else. But in any case, I want you to just be on the alert to watch out for shrinking or collapsing maxillary arches. Those are three strategies to help you reduce the problem that you tell me about is, my case has too much IPR. Let's hit this problem of limited access. This is a big one. Please. Thank you so much. You set me up perfectly. I gave him 20 bucks so he'd say that right now. Let's talk about how to gain access. This is also done during the editing. This is not done during treatment. IPR is difficult when you have limited access. Here's the basic problem. You got this crowded situation right here. You start whacking away with your disc. You come in here and you make a big facet. And guess what? When the case is all done, you've hacked a big chunk away from a tooth in an irrelevant part. Remember I said that IPR is set up that's calculated on the last aligner? That means that even though you some half times have to do it, in fact, you always have to do it before the last aligner, you're trying to get it as late as possible. Let's see, see some strategies of how to avoid that. IPR should not be used as a tool to cut teeth so that they or other teeth can rotate. Here's another little idea about that. If you're doing IPR on rotating teeth, you are chasing a moving target. That took me about two hours to do that. Okay, so how do I get better access? How do I get better access? Okay, let's look at some ways. Look at this different. Now, this, brother, this gentleman just said this right here. He created some space, then the teeth fully derotates, and then it closes back in. Now, that's going to take you a couple, of other, a couple of more aligners. But I'm not in a race. I'm not trying to get the thing done in eight aligners. Some of my orthodontic friends tell me that if they know that a case is going to take 18 months, they just ask for the aligners to be 18 months worth because they know that that's how long it's going to take. To me, that was a little aha moment. The orthodontists already know how long it takes to get teeth into place. So they're going to already program it for that. So I'm a little nervous when I get a case that says, this is going to happen in 12 aligners, or this complicated case is going to happen in 19 aligners. Whew. That makes me a little nervous. So anyway, so let's watch still back in the editing how we're going to happen. Here's the solution. First expand or procline, or both, and then do your IPR later. You expand first. Let me say that another way. First you create space. Then you fully derotate out of what I call heavy traffic. You see that first one? It's derotating in light or no traffic. No collisions, no binding, and then close those spaces. It will take you a little bit longer to do that. But if you don't, 
and you're trying to hack away at the jungle, then you get these kind of things that I got from a transfer case with a little big notch in the cingulum of that tooth. Not so good. That was kind of a rough day at the office for that guy. All right. So, still during the editing, here's the strategy. Expand Procline, then IPR. Request IPR as late as possible. There's no specific numbers for that. There's no, it's got to be at a liner 25, because every case is a different length. So I just ask Frank to make it as late as he possibly can. Now, if you look at your editing grid, sorry, your staging editor is what I meant to say, you'll see that this case, I like this, I'm checking this out, because all the IPR is late there. You see how late in the sequence that is? That means that the teeth are already straight, or close to straight. Now, a line has programmed since 19, or 2010. They've, uh, they've established protocols that should make those teeth much closer by the time IPR is required. So I'm not teaching you anything new because they're already doing that a lot. What I am teaching you, hopefully, to do is to train your eye to watch for it. Because when we, we, when we call up these cases in CE2, I see that done a lot just like I like it, where they line up and they fully derotate out of high traffic and then they squeeze together again. But I still see some that aren't. And I want you to avoid problems by being aware of those. What is, what is CE2? See, uh, uh, it's, the, uh, second, it's the advanced course for uh, uh, accreditation. CE1 is, is uh, continuing education one. That's the basic course for new doctors. And CE2 is the advanced course. All righty. Okay. And then, remember, early IPR is your enemy and late IPR is your friend. You do not want to be abrading a surface that's irrelevant to the final position just to make room so that the teeth can rotate. Okay, so then I'm going to ask, suggest you use the hinge effect. Now, that's a word that Invisalign technicians mostly will recognize. No guarantees. The hinge effect is the idea that you would never use pure rotation. Pure rotation would be taking the dial and uh, taking a tooth and spinning it like a dial or spinning it like a top. That's pure rotation. You will find that your teeth move very much more efficiently if you program in the hinge effect. Now, do you always have to ask for that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Let's take a look. This is the hinge effect. It's no pure rotation on anterior teeth. Always swing the teeth like a hinged door. This is what it looks like. You see, I'm not moving the mesial at all. I'm swinging the distal all the way out. Let me show you a contrasting one here. Here's pure rotation. You see that the distal is going in and the buckle is going out. It's spinning like a top. It's spinning like a dial. That's a much less efficient way to get the results you want. Now, how many of you have had the experience where you get to the end and your lateral, the mesial edge of the lateral, is still sticking out? Have you had that? That's a real frustration. I'm going to show you how to address that. And half of that solution is to do it like a hinge, but in exactly the opposite way that you're doing it now because you're swinging the mesial in. I'll give you an example of how to do that slightly differently. Now watch again the hinge so you've seen it a second time. Remember, you hinge against the buccal plate, which is super thin, rather than the thick lingual palatal bone. So you're always rotating and hinging outward. Watch it again. Here's what it looks like. Okay, so that's hinging. All right, now here is one that's about 80 degrees. That's a hinge. The mesial is staying put. It's not hinging in, it's hinging out, okay? 
Now, the armoire effect is an adjacent concept. You all have armoires in your basement? Las Vegas, which is where I'm from, doesn't have any basements. So we don't have any old armoires in our basement. But you might. I'm from Wisconsin, so everybody has an old armoire in their basement. And you know what? The doors don't close at the same time, do they? In fact, that's probably why you put it in the basement. Because the doors didn't close, right? So you try to, you try to uh, close the left door, and it bangs. And so then you try to close the right door, and it bangs. Now, how do you get that to close? You all know how to do it, don't you? You take the thing, and you bring them out at the same time, and you line them up, and then you push them together. You see how that works? So if you did that with a lateral, it's the hinge, hinge effect is basically what's happening to one tooth. The armoire effect is basically setting it up for two teeth, two teeth against each other, because in an armoire, they're both hinging, aren't they? So here's how that looks. Now here's a bad example. Watch right there. There's the problem. Did you see the lateral was trying to come in? Watch again. At the same time that number eight or number nine is going out, they're colliding. They're binding. They can't get together, and you get to the end of that last line, and you go, rats. How do I get that thing in? And you say, well, Mrs. Jones, that gives you a little personality. You want a little teeth sticking out there a little bit. Okay? Here's a better way to uh, do that same case. Out they go all the way. Did you see that two right there? The two doesn't start, the IPR doesn't start until they're completely lined up. So that's the armoire effect, is you bring the teeth out, hinge them out, line them up perfectly, and bring them back together. And that's when the IPR becomes so simple, because the teeth are already proximate. Here's one more example. Watch how that swings out from the distal. That's the hinge effect. It swung out, not the mesial coming lingually, but the distal going buccally. That is so much more predictable because he's ro he is rotating, in this case a woman, is rotating out of high traffic. Okay, so those are some examples of how to use those effects in order to get that. Now remember, don't try to IPR here. That is not helpful. You're not even IPRing in the, in the uh, surfaces that are intended. And here it becomes very easy because you've got access to those particular ones. Okay. The MRIs are saying that when you push that tooth out in a gentle manner, you're getting remodeling of that buccal plate. So I have never had an experience of perforating. I went back and I looked at my photographs when I st first started talking about MRIs, and I discovered that almost every one of those, both the gingival, well, especially the gingival, looked better, not worse at the end, and I think that's because of remodeling. Me personally? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I'm relying on those people who are doing graduate studies to determine that, and that's where I got my information was MRI that did that. So I probably wouldn't put the patient through that, but I just have a lot of confidence in that. I don't have a lot of, I don't, I don't worry about the fact that I've got recession in there, because the recession or the abfraction is contributed to by the occlusal scheme anyway. So if I'm improving this occlusal scheme, I should have a better result. Yeah, well, potential, but I, all I'm saying is that I have not seen that because I'm not thinning out the bone. That was identified to me. That the, you mean causes it to shrink down? I just have not uh, seen that. I've not experienced that personally. I'd like to see some cases that have because I haven't experienced that. Okay, still in the editing. What to watch for? Uh, what to watch for is uh, watch for IPR on rotating teeth because rotating teeth is the moving target. 
Do not rotate in high traffic. Okay, now this is an example, a classic example of rotating in high traffic. Can you see how hard it is for those teeth to rotate the way they're supposed to? Because every aligner you put in puts the brakes on. It causes them to bind. So this was a, this case, which actually was transferred, was very uh, unsuccessful. All the teeth were still in a shingle pattern. Now watch a better way to do that. Out they come, then they derotate, then they go back in. Now that's not very much. If you measure that on your grid, you will find that they buckleize about a millimeter and a half. Now some of those cases will do more, but if you're concerned, you can always measure. I measure lots of gingival margins to see how far I'm buckleizing, how far I'm round tripping. And most of the time it's less than two millimeters. I'm not as worried about a two millimeter round trip as I would be about other things. Okay, so use the hinge effect in order to get your teeth to move more predictably out of contact. Use the armoire effect, which I've already described, and do not shingle the contacts. What's shingling the contacts? You got these two teeth, you're going to get out your machete, you're going to go after those, you're going to saw a little facet right in there like that, and then by the time they rotate into place, what are you going to get? You're going to get that. I wouldn't want it on my teeth. Not sure you'd want it on yours. Okay, here's the access recap. Request IPR as late as possible. Watch for IPR on rotating teeth. Do not rotate in high traffic. Watch for IPR on crowded teeth. Use the hinge effect, no pure rotation. Use the armoire effect, that's two hinges together. And do not shingle the contacts. Now you have to apply some of those. Some of them will show up in your ClinCheck already. It depends on who your technician is and there's a lot of variables involved but I just want to train your eyes so you're watching for that so you can figure out what you need to do to make your case go more predictably. My cases are a little longer than yours because they've got a few more aligners involved in some of those steps. But I'm going to have less mid-course corrections and less refinements and shorter refinements and a whole lot less frustration. Okay, keeping track. Let me give you some suggestions for keeping track. First of all, this is during treatment. This is not during the ClinCheck editing. This is during treatment. So strategy one is to use an IPR tracker. I've included one in the back of your little packet there so you can see what it looks like. And they did me the courtesy of printing it up in color. So you can print it up in color on your printer if you want to. I, I basically redesigned something that was available through a line years ago. And I just improved it so that uh, it worked better for me. So here my assistant takes out the Invisalign case when it comes in the box and she highlights all of the areas where I'm supposed to do IPR and it might end up something like that. And she does one millimeter for one box for every tenth of a millimeter. So here I have to do three tenths, here I have to do two tenths, here I have to do two tenths, here I have to do three tenths. I use this as just an example so you could see some with two, some with three, some with four. If you start to get on your game, you'll notice that these start to have a more general pattern you won't skip too many because you'll reduce your IPR by including everything. So I'm only using this as an example because as you use them more often, you'll see that they have an evenness to them because you're getting all the teeth involved in a contribution. Then I have a little space where I put the number where I'm supposed to start my IPR. So I know that I'm supposed to do this at a liner 18, this at 22, that at 16, 28, so forth. 
And here I've got ones at 22, 16, 28, and then when I do them, the IPR, I put the date down and whether I do it on the mesial or the distal. I almost never do a straight cut with both teeth. I almost always can select, is it better to do the mesial of this tooth or the distal of that tooth? Because I want to have them aesthetic and I also want to have them symmetric. So the idea of just bulldozing through with a two-sided whatever doesn't appeal to me very much because I can be more selective. Okay, so some here are some general suggestions. I actually put the numbers down two earlier than the ClinCheck calls for it because the ClinCheck doesn't register it until there actually is a collision. When the teeth collide, it says now. And so if I do it two aligners earlier, I have a little bit of gap where I avoid a collision and make the teeth move easier. So I retro that by two aligners. So if it said do three-tenths of a millimeter before aligner 14 between two 22 and 26 and 27, I would do 0.1 at aligner 12. I would start out a little bit earlier. I would never appoint to do all the IPR at the same appointment. I would just never do that. I would limit my IPR to one to two uh, millimeters per visit, always doing it incrementally. That's the reason you track it. So you know how much you've done and how much you still have to do. Are you going to always do exactly how much they say? Absolutely not, because it's not an exact science. Sometimes you need a little bit less. Sometimes you need a little bit more. Okay, so you get the idea. And then I check one box for every one millimeter of IPR that was done today. So I'm going to put a little check box up here and just mark that so I know how much I have to do. And so when I sit down with a patient, it's, it's two seconds for me to evaluate where I'm supposed to go and what I've still done. Okay, IPR is not an exact science. Did I mention that already before today? Did I mention that? Okay. So don't do it all at once. Do it a little at a time. Sometimes you need a little bit more. Sometimes you need a little bit. You're getting good at this. All right. So then, if you're happy with the contact and the teeth have finished moving, then exit out and you're done. Now, this is my most extreme example. It's where I started to learn that it's not an exact science. This was years ago, 2004 or 5, I think. Uh, I had a date on there one time. And, oh, yeah, 2005. And then what happened was I was supposed to do five, and I did one. And guess what? I got to the end, and my teeth matched the ClinCheck, and the contacts were a nice snap, smooth snap. So guess what? I quit. I took those, and I X'd them off, and I was done. It's my most extreme example, and maybe you wouldn't see that today as the computers continue to get more accurate. But still, I was supposed to do five. I did one. What would have happened if I had done all five on the first appointment? How silly that would have been. I would have been wrestling with open contacts for years to come. Okay, so if you do a little extra... That is to say, more than the ClinCheck called for, then I put it in with a pink entry. In other words, I didn't have to do any here. I mean, I wasn't supposed to do any, but I had to do some. So I added that in, and I did a little bit more than was needed. Why would that happen? Because teeth don't move when there's collisions. So if you're having a collision and a tooth is not moving, what's that going to tell you? that it can't because it's binding somewhere. So I'm going to do a little bit of extra IPR. I'm going to mark that down. Now I know I've got a little trouble spot there. Remember, the number was either uh, rounded down or rounded up. So I'm taking that into account by doing that. Okay, how do you judge if you need a little bit more than the tracker says? I just said that. How do you know if you're going to need a little pink? Because the position of the teeth will lag behind the actual position in the next aligner or will be behind the ClinCheck. This is the number one reason that teeth don't close where you want them to. 
and that is because of collisions. Collisions are the problem there. They need a little bit more room to move, so they're going to need a little bit more IPR. So you're being exact with what they tell you, and you're being very careful, but sometimes you're going to have to do a little bit more, or sometimes you're going to have to do a little less. So this is during treatment again. This is not during the clean check, clean check editing. Here's the strategy recap. Use an IPR tracker to keep track of it so you know how much you're supposed to do at the beginning and how much you've done. And then don't do all the IPR at once. Do one or two tenths of a millimeter at a time. And remember, it's not an exact science. Okay, let's take a look at the next issue. How much? To IPR or not to IPR, you've clearly been to some famous stage play that said that. That is the question. So I'm making you a little system for making good decisions about when to do it. It's a little six-part system that's very easy. First of all, let's make a pile of reasons to do IPR today and a pile of reasons not to do IPR so that when you sit down at the chair, you'd have a good reason to do it or a good reason not to do it. The obvious reason is that the ClinCheck and the tracker tell you to. So the tracker is trying to keep you on track. Get it? That's why they call it a tracker? Okay. So the reason not to do IPR is the space is wide open. Why would you ever do IPR in a space that was wide open? You wouldn't. You'd wait, right? Well, maybe not. We'll get to that in a minute. So, if you floss the teeth and the space is wide open, then it's probably a good idea not to do IPR today. So those are the two things that you'd consider. The tracker says to do it, so I'll do it. It's wide open, so I won't. Now, you need five things to make a good decision about IPR today. And they're all very easy. And you all have them right in front of you. Number one, what does the tracker tell you about where to IPR and when? So you've got the tracker in front of you, and you're at a liner 16, and you're supposed to do three-tenths of a millimeter, and you say, it's probably a pretty good idea for me to do IPR today. So you do. So that's the first thing you need. The second thing you need to do is how do the aligners compare to the position of the teeth. So you've got to look at that aligner and look at some of the more dramatic parts of that, the overlaps or the separations or the angulations, and compare that and make a judgment, am I on track? You're used to just putting the aligner in and looking for gaps along the top, and I want you to just look at the aligner and make an assessment, am I in gear? Am I on track? Okay, third thing you're going to need is are the contacts open or closed? And, of course, Floss can do that. And my assistant flosses all the critical areas before I come in. She writes a little sticky note, and she puts all the areas that she thinks need to be done today, and then she puts a line through all the ones that she thinks don't need to be done today. That's going to just help me do my homework a little bit faster. When I teach the seminar on IPR, which is like an evening study club thing, I ask the doctors, how long do you, as your secretary, schedule you for IPR? And I've heard 15 minutes, I've heard 30 minutes, I've heard 45 minutes, I've heard an hour. An hour. An hour of productive chair time doing ch 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 oh, I'd rather have shards of glass in my eyes than spend an hour doing this thing. Oh, we, in our office, because the ways that I'm going to show you, we double book and it takes about eight minutes. But you've got to have your game on so that you know what you're going to be doing and your assistant is helping you to do that before you walk in the door. So she's checking all the contacts. 
Okay, here's the big one. Are the contacts actually tight or tighter when the aligner's in place? Because the aligner is handcuffing some teeth and you're trying to avoid collisions. So if you really want to know if there's binding when the aligner is in, then put the aligner in the mouth and then floss the teeth and find out. That's all right, I'll wait for you. <laughs> Okay? You can't do that, and neither can I. But I'd sure like to, because you know what I'd find out? I think I'd been flossing all day long, and that floss is going right through. Then I put the aligners in, and guess what? They're binding. And I actually have a collision that I wasn't aware of. Then I take the aligner off, and I can floss all day long with no binding. So you're getting a false reading. So you have to imitate what it would be like if the aligner was in place. And how do you do that? You get your assistant to get out a little condenser, and she puts a medium, not heavy, medium pressure on the tooth in question in the direction that it's supposed to be going. And guess what? You'll have a much more accurate uh, indication of whether or not those teeth were binding or not. You know what the hardest one is? Is when the shape of the teeth make them bind right by the gingiva. That's hard when you have that low contact problem. So you've got to watch out for that and not take it on face value that your floss alone will do the trick. Sorry. Hey, wait a second. Let me go back to that because I see you, you were just about to take a picture. I don't want to make you miss it. Let's see if I can get it here fast. Oh, that came down. Let's get that last one. That's the one you, that's the one you want to see, right? Right there, right? Okay, <laughs> now the last one, what movements will occur during the next three aligners? Why three? Well, my default is I give them three at a time. So what happens if it's open today and then I check the next three, click, 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 and they close or overclose? That'll change everything, won't it? Because I'll know that in three aligners I have to do some IPR. Or I have to do it before three aligners. So I only have two choices. Either do it now or bring them back in one or two aligners and not wait till three so that I get it before they collide, before they overclose. So I generally elect when I see those three to do it because I want to stay ahead of the collision anyway. So that makes it a little bit easier. Okay, so let's go to those five. Now here's the little process that you go through the little six steps. Once the patient is uh, seated, the assistant notes all the IPR that she thinks is due today, and what does my tracker say about today? Okay, the assistant flosses to check out any open contacts. Right, now you compare the teeth with the aligner and the teeth with the ClinCheck. Now, you floss using the condenser. This might change everything. If the contacts are tight when you do that, then what are you going to do? You're going to do IPR. So that issue with the con condenser is very useful so you don't get false negatives and you go, they're not touching. Well, when you put the aligner in, they are. Not only are they touching, they're binding. That's why that tooth isn't moving the way you want it to. If you can see space, you don't have to IPR, but you have to get them back maybe sooner than six weeks. So play the ClinCheck to see what happens during the next three aligners. Does the space close? Does it overclose? This might change everything. You see how that makes it a little simpler? You can help make decisions on that. You've already done your homework at the beginning to make sure that you don't have collisions in your ClinCheck editing, and now you're doing it while you play it. Okay, so now, has our thing changed? Are things changed? Yeah. Because now, what are the reasons to do IPR? The ClinCheck and Tracker tell you to. 
the condenser closes the contact, then you've got to do some IPR, and or the contact closes in the next three aligners, then you need to do some. I have done that personally, but I, I'm not in a position to preach that one way or the other. So I guess the, the easy answer is no, but I've done that to have a, a mixed case to, to, in order to do a little faster, especially have really difficult cuspid rotations. But, okay, last one, not reasons not to do IPR. The space is wide open and won't close in three aligners. That's a good reason not to do it because it's starting to close. Okay, strategy recap. Follow the tracker. Compare the aligners to the teeth, check the contacts with floss and the condenser, and evaluate the next three stages. I suggest you not IPR the cuspids. Not IPR the cuspids? What? Why wouldn't you IPR the cuspids? I must never IPR the cuspids. I did in the early days. Whenever I did, I wished I hadn't. You know why? Because the contact on the mesial of the cuspids is unique in all the mouth, and it's really hard for you to replicate. You just, I just really screwed it up. I mean, it always made the contact not work well. I would much rather do IPR on the distal of the laterals or the mesial of the bicuspids and not touch the cuspids. Now, if the cuspid has a big wing of enamel off the back, I will do an IPR there, but almost never will I touch those cuspids. They are really, uh, they, they have what I call uh, dimensional integrity. Don't fool with them. Don't wreck the contact. Okay? So that's when to do it and where. Okay, let's talk about best tools and techniques. I've got some suggestions for you, and then I'm going to give you my Ebert and Siskel thumbs up, thumbs down at the end. I'll tell you most of the tools, not all of them. I don't have time to talk about all of them. I'll just talk about the main ones. Okay, don't use the wrong tools. Use the right tools. Use the good tools. Use the ones that are going to make a big difference. The scalpels, I like to call them. Let me give you some categories. First, there's hand instruments, and then there's handpiece-driven instruments. Each of them have some pros and cons I'd like to just review quickly. Finishing strips, very valuable. I use those a lot. My recommendation is that you have two kinds. You ought to have the paper ones, and you ought to have the metal ones. You ought to have one-sided, and you ought to have two-sided. By far, I use metal one-sided more than any of the other strips. I don't use them the most for IPR. I just use the most of those. I don't use paper very often, and I don't use two-sided very often. Occasionally, I do. Now, here's a little video clip that shows how that process works with the strips. Now, this little film clip that I'm showing you here is actually three grits. You'd start with fine, move to medium, and then move to coarse, and then I usually start out, if I can, with coarse, and the closer I come to the end of the treatment, I use fine. Now, I don't use strips as much as my good friend Dr. Gray, who's speaking, does. He uses them a lot. In fact, one time he said, what do you do with them afterward? And he, I said, well, I, I usually discard them. And he said, well, I'm going to send my assistant from Washington, D.C. out to Vegas and check out your dumpster and pick up all your old uh, finishing strips because I'm going to re-sterilize those and make good use of them. So I changed my philosophy a little bit on that. But you could see that was going from... Uh, easy to course. The second thing I want to mention is the Axis Quick Strips, which are really nice. They're sold by Axis, and they're little handheld ones, and lots of people like these a lot. They've got a curvature to them. They've got a little bit of anatomy to it because of that curvature. They come in different grits, so you can go from, from uh, light to medium to coarse to extra coarse to coarse to medium to light. 
And then, this is how these look. This is a little demo on those, and you can see that they come right between your finger and your thumb, and they're, they're pretty easy to control, and they're very safe for the patient. And we like that a lot. Okay, you get the idea for that. And here's a bunch of them there. Then a second one is the mandrel mounted disc. That's under the handpiece driven instruments. Okay, and I think that these are kind of dangerous. I used to use them and I tried to get really good at them. If you're going to use them, I recommend that you use only a one-sided and you only use those that have the Saturn ring abrasive. No full surface abrasive. The problem is if you're not really careful with these, you get something like this. And that's not really helpful to anybody. So you've got to be really careful on those. I haven't used those for about seven years. But they do have their place, and I've got some friends that use them and use them well. And then Vision Flex discs, I really love these for breaking contact. They're made by Brassler. They come in different sizes. They're very useful for opening the contacts on straight teeth. Can't use them on crooked ones. They're much more efficient than strips, but they only come in two-sided, which I prefer one-sided. The greater the crowding, the less useful they are, and they're harder than strips to preserve the natural anatomy. But I only use them in one situation, and that's just to break the contact. And I'll show you a little video clip here that shows how nice those are to break that contact. I mean, that's just so slick to be able to do that quickly, but they've got to be proximate. Okay, so let's go to the last one here, and that is... Oh, no diamonds. I'm not a big advocate of diamonds because I think it's really easy to end up with a contact like that. Not good. So most people aren't using diamonds right now, but here's my favorite. It's the best of both worlds. It's safe, anatomic, easy, and very, very fast. It's intensive ortho strips. The only thing about them is you do have to have a reciprocating handpiece. Better than it was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. Ah, yeah, that's kind of nostalgic, isn't it, for all you guys who are 14? Okay, so this is a great tool. It is so fast. Now, I decided to take the profit from one case and use it for all the rest. If you already have a 2320, 2307, or 2329 LRG, you can just put the handpiece up on there. Here's some things about it. It holds like a regular handpiece. It's safe and predictable as a finishing strip. It's fast or faster than discs. It's got some anatomy to it and it's a dial turn except the exact angle of entry. So you can see how that works. I've got a little video clip that will sh show that. And it's got fiber optics, so I'm pretty pleased with that whole thing. Okay, let's talk for a minute about posterior open bites. Consider the importance of an overjet. Has your case ever finished with a posterior open bite? It's never happened to you. It's happened to her. She ended up her case with an open bite. It happened to him, and it happened to me. Have you checked your occlusion with mylar shim stock to make sure that the back posterior teeth are all the way closed?
That's how most posterior molar teeth intrude. Abracadabra. Okay, I've got to tell you five reasons why you end up with a posterior open bite. I'll give you a clue. None of them have to do with intrusion. Okay, what you're actually seeing is premature anterior contact. So if you have had somebody tell you that it's a really good idea to click out those uh, molars, they're not really diagnosing what's going on. Here are five reasons why that happens. Since there's usually more crowding on the bottom than on the top, the bottom requires more proclination than the top. The overjet is eroded. So if you have a less crowding here and more crowding there, now watch how much proclination there is on the bottom and how little there is on the top. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to be banging on into each other by the time you get to the end of your case and your back teeth are not going to be able to touch down because you've got premature anterior contact. Okay, second, failure to intrude. The overbite is reduced. You meant to start out with this and end up with this, but you didn't. You ended up with that. Guess what's hitting? Your front teeth. Guess what's not hitting? Your back teeth. Now, take a look at this, and you'll see how this sort of plays out. It's easy to spot one tooth that has failure to intrude, but it's really hard to spot a whole bunch of them. Okay? A third reason why you're getting that is you're collapsing your arch. Your box is too small. Your lid is getting too small for your box, and so your back teeth are not able to come down together. Watch again. I showed you two examples already. Here's a collapsing arch. I'll show you one more. There's another one. Watch them all come in. That's a tough way to go. Okay, fourth reason is, watch now, this, this is the same thing. I gotta, I'm going to try to close this, but I've got no overjet. I'm already in contact. Now watch this check and how it sucks that whole thing down together. Guess what? You finish the case, front teeth are touching, back teeth aren't touching. Okay, so that's a problem. Last one, or second to last one, tooth size discrepancy. You have small laterals. The technician is going to close the arch. He's going to shrink that arch down to close those spaces. You could have done a whole lot better if you'd put veneers in there and opened them up instead of closed them. And last, you approved a very tight overjet setup. No room for error. Okay, look how tight that is. Look how tight that is. Okay, and let's give you one more. So here's my things to watch out for. Don't collapse the arch. Build a little extra overjet into the case. Ask for a little more intrusion than you need. That's an overcorrection of intrusion. And watch the intrusion carefully. Don't get trapped into skipping restorative when it's needed. Okay? Do you get that? And now, let's see how good of students you've actually been because it's time to play. Welcome! I'm David Gates, your host, and it's time to play the new IPR is Right. Okay, we have two contestants who are going to vie for the final grand prize, contestant one and contestant two. Five questions each. The first five questions are easy. True or false? And the second two questions are a little harder, and those are fill in the blank. When the first contestant answers correctly, you'll have to yell it out. The second will roar their approval. We'll go back and forth and see how much you've learned. First, you should do all the IPR at once. Contestant one. Good. Excellent. False. Always incrementally. One or two tenths of a millimeter. 
Two, contestant two, never IPR the floss if it shows no contact. False, and let, use the condenser to confirm, right? Okay, you're having a little trouble here. Let's work it out. There you go. Make your friend now next door think he's gone to the wrong workshop. Okay, spread out the IPR as widely as possible. There you go, good. Favor twos and threes. Next, IPR is not an exact science. There you go, good. Now you're cooking. Sometimes you need a little bit more. Sometimes you need a little bit less. Last, aligners cause molar intrusion. There you go. All right, false. Okay, now we get to the harder ones. These are fill in the blank. Right over here. Early IPR is your? And late IPR is your? Thank you very much. Good. Avoid IPRing which teeth? Oh, you are good. The cuspids. Okay, blanking the maxillary arch is rarely a good thing. Collapsing or shrinking, good. And two problems with Invisalign? Collisions and compliance, okay. And to get laterals in line, use the? Thank you for coming to Summit. <laughs>